This podcast is brought to you by the School of Security Studies at King's College London. Welcome to the War Studies Podcast. My name is Kirk Allen. Today, the state of human rights in China appears to be at its worst since the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. According to Human Rights Watch, the Chinese Communist Party continues to increase its hold over government bureaucracy and has subsumed state bodies in charge of religious, ethnic, and overseas Chinese affairs. Chinese authorities have also significantly increased repression and systematic abuse against religious groups, especially the Turkic Muslims in China's Xinjiang region, and have continued the arbitrary detention, torture, and enforced disappearance of dissenters and human rights defenders. Human rights abuses on China's mainland are very concerning, especially when considering the state's place in global politics and economic relations. China's growing power in the international system makes it an exporter of human rights abuse and has allowed China to extend its reach to silence many of its critics across the globe. However, dissenters and human rights defenders in China's free, autonomous territories, such as Hong Kong, are obviously the communities that are most at risk of falling victim to human rights abuse by mainland China. Earlier this month, we saw mass protests take place in Hong Kong in opposition to a now-suspended bill that would have allowed mainland China to extradite individuals from Hong Kong to stand trial in mainland China. This bill would have removed any protection that the people of Hong Kong had from mainland China's arbitrary and inhumane criminal justice system. On the 16th of June, nearly 2 million protesters took to the streets in Hong Kong to express their concerns and resistance to being subject to mainland China's criminal justice system and successfully pressured leadership to suspend the bill. In this edition of the War Studies podcast, we asked Benedict Rogers, founder and chair of the human rights organization Hong Kong Watch, to tell us about the state of human rights in China and the recent protests in Hong Kong around the now-suspended extradition bill. Let's get to our interview, starting with my first question. Since the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre, what progress has China made in the realm of human rights? I would say that uh, up until Xi Jinping uh, took power uh, nearly seven years ago, uh, there were still, uh, of course, significant human rights challenges and and a repressive uh, state. Uh, But there was actually uh, some uh, space for for dissent. For for example, there were human rights lawyers, a growing body of human rights lawyers who were very active. uh, And within certain limits, they had a certain amount of space. But in the last seven years, uh, the human rights situation has regressed uh, very dramatically. Uh, The situation now, most people would say, is uh, the worst it has been since the Tiananmen massacre in 1989. Some people would even say it's uh, the worst since the Cultural Revolution. Um, Right across the board, the incarceration of more than a million Uyghur Muslims uh, in Xinjiang, uh, the crackdown on other religions, Christianity, uh, the situation in Tibet, the persecution of Falun Gong, uh, the crackdown on freedom of expression. I mean, I think it's the case now that there are still some brave people who who do try uh, to uh, work in the, in the arena of civil society, but really every space uh, is is shut down. People are uh, jailed and, and and tortured, and of course then there's the erosion of uh, Hong Kong's uh, freedoms uh, and. Uh, 
uh, autonomy and, and threats to the rule of law. So um, the situation is is the worst it's been in, in many decades. What marks uh, the, the start of this regression? I think we it began to be seen um, not too long after Xi Jinping uh, came to power. Um, I mean, I was involved in doing a report uh, which was published in 2016, but looked at the period from 2013 to 2016, uh, uh, and it was called the darkest moment because uh, one of the people who gave evidence to us said this is the darkest moment since the Tiananmen massacre. Uh, and actually, a member of parliament who attended, a British member of parliament who attended that uh, the launch of that report, said he agreed entirely with the report. He disagreed with the title, um, and I was thinking he was going to say the title was an exaggeration. But in fact, he said my disagreement is that this isn't yet the darkest moment. It's going to get darker still. And that was three years ago, and we've. I think he's been proven right. Uh, so uh, it, it really began uh, under Xi Jinping. It's interesting looking back that some people, when Xi Jinping took over, thought, uh, with no particular basis for thinking this, but thought that he might be a reformer and a, a more liberal leader. Um, and he's proven uh, very quickly that he's the exact opposite, that he's uh, uh, far more repressive than his immediate predecessors. So in light of the protests in Hong Kong around the recently suspended extradition bill that, if in place, would allow the extradition of individuals from Hong Kong to stand trial in mainland China. Uh, I would like to focus a little on this particular protest and China's criminal justice system. So first, why is this extradition bill so controversial? It's so controversial because uh, it, in effect, if it is implemented, uh, will lead to a situation where people can be extradited from a city that uh, is built on the rule of law, uh, prides itself in having an independent judiciary. Uh, and even today, when other freedoms in Hong Kong have been threatened, uh, I think uh, it still has uh, an independent judiciary. judiciary. Uh, um, it's ranked as the 16th, uh, it's ranked 16th in uh, studies of, of rule of law around the world. Um, whereas mainland China is, I think, ranked uh, 86th. Um, it's, it's a judicial system that basically ha is not rule of law, it's rule by law. Uh, there's no such thing as an independent judiciary. There's no uh, guarantee of fair tri trial. Uh, there's widespread use of torture. Um, Something that's increased uh, under uh, Xi Jinping's rule is uh, the use of forced televised confessions, which are now becoming a regular occurrence using state media to broadcast uh, forced confessions by by uh, uh, political uh, and other uh, detainees. Um, uh, and, and of course, it remains uh, the world's uh, biggest executioner. Um, uh, so uh, to have a situation where people could be extradited from uh, a city that is uh, open and free and based on the rule of law to uh, the mainland Chinese judicial system uh, has caused a lot of uh, understandable fear, not only among political activists who uh, who understandably fear uh, that they could be targeted, uh, but also uh, among businesses um, who, who are concerned that they could be affected. And in theory, even people uh, going through Hong Kong in transit who've been critical of the Chinese regime uh, from outside China uh, could be nabbed uh, under this law. Um, so uh, it really is a, a grave threat to uh, Hong Kong's freedoms. The, the last governor of Hong Kong, Chris Patton, and the former foreign secretary, Sir Malcolm Rifkind, have said that the, the very reason that uh, 
the last colonial government, uh, uh, British government, um, uh, did not create an extradition agreement with the mainland was in order to create uh, what they called a firewall uh, to protect Hong Kong after the handover. The Hong Kong government say that they're trying to introduce this law uh, to close a loophole. But as Chris Patton and Malcolm Rifkin have said, it's not a loop, loophole, it's a firewall. And destroying that will really destroy what Hong Kong is all about. The South China Morning Post uh, reported that China has a conviction rate of 99.9%, which is a very concerning figure. What are the prospects for getting a fair trial in China? I think there are no prospects, uh, really. Um, I mean, I met um, a few weeks ago in Taiwan, uh, Lam Wing Ki, uh, who was one of the Hong Kong booksellers who, in his case, was arrested uh, when he went uh, across the border into mainland China in 2015. Some of the other booksellers were actually abducted. Uh, one of them, Gui Min Hai, was abducted from Thailand and disappeared into China, where he's still being held in detention. Um, but Lam Wing Ki told me that um, he spent eight months in detention in the mainland. Uh, he asked his captors what crime had he committed, uh, and they simply said to him, uh, if we say you've committed a crime, you have committed a crime. Um, he, he said he never saw uh, a judge or, or a courtroom. Um, uh, and he was uh, forced to write uh, confessions more than 20 times. Um, when he didn't write what they wanted him to write, uh, they wrote it for him. Uh, and he was forced uh, several times to make televised confessions. So really, there, there is no uh, concept of uh, a fair trial um, in, in mainland China. No habeas corpus rights. Yeah. Nothing like that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that someone was actually uh, disappeared in, in, in Thailand. Mm. Uh, so China's reach in, uh, I guess, uh, attacking its political enemies uh, extends far beyond their, uh, their borders. This is really concerning. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's extremely concerning. Um, I mean, Gui Min Hai's case is uh, the worst uh, example um, that he was effectively kidnapped from his uh, holiday apartment in, uh, in Thailand uh, and disappeared and then showed up a few weeks later giving a, a forced televised confession uh, in mainland China. Um, but there are other examples of less dramatic but still uh, concerning uh, aggression by China around the world, um, including, I mean, this is nothing compared to Gui Min Hai's case, uh, but uh, I myself in, in the UK have received anonymous letters from Hong Kong arriving both at my home address but also my mother's uh, home address uh, and some of my neighbours. Um, I've had British members of parliament telling me that they have uh, had specific telephone calls from the Chinese embassy uh, asking them to tell me uh, to stop uh, speaking out. Now, as I say, that's nothing compared to what Gui Min Hai is going through, but it's an example uh, and others have experienced similar things of, uh, of China's aggression well beyond its borders. It's really amazing to see that you've had such an impact, but uh, that, I mean, uh, do you feel threatened or, or do you feel in, in danger when, when traveling? Um, I, d I don't really. I, I think that these letters and more recently emails are more designed to sort of create uh, fear rather than actually uh, being accompanied by by a specific phys physical threat. Um, but it does mean that uh, when I'm traveling, uh, uh, particularly in that region, I'll, I'll need to be more cautious and more aware. Um, 
it, it's uh, it's a tactic that um, friends from mainland China tell me uh, is quite common in China, uh, where they will try to put pressure on dissidents and critics by uh, pressuring their family, their neighbors, their employers. And the same pattern has been applied to me that it just, I never would have expected to see it in, in London. Um, kind of scary, but, <laughs> but fascinating. Now, in regards to the Hong Kong protest, you have condemned the response of law enforcement as disproportionate and have demanded an immediate independent investigation. Where has law enforcement gone too far? And how might police in Hong Kong address protesters appropriately? I think uh, what we saw on uh, the Sunday before last where a million people took to the streets and this past Sunday where two million people took to the streets um, was Hong Kong at its best, uh, both the courage of so many so many uh, Hong Kong people uh, marching, um, but also um, on those two occasions, uh, the police uh, were restrained and uh, the protests were peaceful. Uh, and uh, apart from perhaps a little bit of violence at, at the end on um, the first march, but where the police uh, really lost uh, control of their own uh, behaviour um, and of, of the situation uh, was uh, on the 12th of June, uh, Wednesday last week, where we had saw scenes that I never imagined I would see in Hong Kong of uh, the police using uh, rubber bullets, but firing rubber bullets directly at people. So there, were, there was somebody who was shot in the face um, and severely injured. Um, we saw uh, excessive use of tear gas and pepper spray. Uh, we saw horrible scenes of a man who was already on the ground being surrounded by uh, uh, large numbers of police officers beating him uh, with batons. Um, uh, and we saw police uh, threatening uh, other totally peaceful, unarmed uh, protesters, um, threatening them with their batons. Uh, of course, um, where there are incidents of uh, violence by any protesters and, and there were things thrown at the police and, and so on, um, those people, those individuals carrying out acts of violence uh, should be uh, arrested and, and uh, if there's a case against them, should be that should be addressed uh, through the normal uh, um, legal process. Um, but this kind of excessive police brutality against unarmed, peaceful protesters was really shocking and... Uh, uh, that's why I think there needs to be uh, an immediate independent inquiry and and there should not be impunity for police uh, who be, who behave in that way. Um, they should be held accountable um, and I hope uh, such scenes are never repeated. I think what's also really concerning is that in addition to uh, the police brutality last week, we then heard uh, reports of uh, the police going to hospitals where um, people who had been injured by the police in, in the protests had gone for medical treatment and the police were demanding uh, personal details about, uh, about those people uh, with a view presumably to then pursuing them um, uh, further. Uh, and there were reports of the police um, going to university uh, campuses looking for uh, people who'd taken part in the protests. So um, so all of that is also deeply concerning. So would you say that uh, human rights in Hong Kong have taken a dip in the, the, the past couple of months? Uh, yes, I would. I mean, I think um, they've been uh, increasingly threatened over the last several years. We've seen uh, a significant number of peaceful protesters, particularly those who took part in the uh, Umbrella Movement five years ago, 
uh, being jailed. Um, we've seen uh, pro-democracy legislators and pro-democracy candidates being disqualified uh, from, uh, from contesting uh, elections. Um, we've seen increasing pressure on press freedom and academic freedom. Um, so there's been a steady uh, and growing erosion of Hong Kong's freedoms and human rights. Um, but in recent weeks, particularly with um, this proposed extradition bill and the fact that the Hong Kong government until just a few days ago uh, seemed uh, to completely refuse to listen to the voices of uh, so many people from across Hong Kong society, from business, the legal sector, as well as uh, activists and just ordinary people, um, and also seemed to refuse to listen to the international community that was increasingly speaking up. They have now, uh, at a, a very belatedly, uh, decided to suspend the proposed legislation. My view is that that's not good enough. They need to withdraw it completely, because as long as it's on the table, it will create an atmosphere of fear that will further undermine uh, Hong Kong's freedoms and Hong Kong's reputation. Finally, what is the prospect for improved human rights in China generally? And what do you believe that the international community can do to assist this? I think that uh, the international community um, uh, really needs to uh, take a much stronger stand. Um, for too long, too many people have uh, kowtowed to the Chinese regime. Uh, but it's reached a point now where the uh, human rights situation, the, this uh, horrific situation uh, in Xinjiang being symbolic of it all, but all the other issues that I've uh, mentioned as well, uh, has, has reached a point where the international community needs to speak with one voice. Um, I think when individual countries uh, try to speak up, that's welcome, and I, I would encourage uh, individual countries to do more. But if um, uh, if they can speak together, if, if the United Kingdom, the United States, the European Union, Canada, Australia, uh, and others can uh, really stand together on this, um, that's the kind of strength that the Chinese uh, government would both uh, respect, albeit grudgingly, um, and, and would listen to and would feel. Uh, and that may lead, therefore, to, uh, to some uh, progress. Uh, I'm not optimistic under Xi Jinping uh, that we're going to see uh, a change of direction unless there's really concerted international pressure. Um, but I do think that the more pressure there is, uh, and particularly uh, as China's economy perhaps uh, slows, uh, his only mandate really is, is economic uh, strength. He doesn't have a legitimacy uh, uh, other than that. And so I think if China's economy slows, the pressure on him domestically will grow uh, and that could lead to the kind of improvements that we want to see. Thank you again, Benedict Rogers, for speaking with us about human rights in China and the Hong Kong protests. That concludes this edition of the War Studies podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Benedict Rogers and Hong Kong Watch, please follow the links provided below. Also, for more news and information on upcoming events, please visit our website at kcl.ac.uk forward slash security studies. Thank you for listening.